Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello again, it's Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation, where we take your vision and build the synergy with your your team, your board, your supporters, your stakeholders, so that you can make a difference in people's lives. Got a great guest today, uh, Sturdy McKee. It's gonna gonna highlight some things with uh, the wisdom from his experience through his year. So you've heard from me, let's hear from Sturdy. Sturdy, tell people a little bit about who you are and your passion for the work that you do. Hey, thank you, thanks to you. Well, I come from a healthcare background. I was a physical therapist for um, over 20 years, I started a private practice and, uh, you know, so from the very beginning, I always wanted to teach and help people. Um, but along the way, I realized very early on, I didn't know much about business. I, I was kind of reluctant, like so many healthcare providers to delve in. I tried to go within the industry initially and didn't learn what we needed and went outside and had kind of this epiphany that there are these tools that we can learn and use and apply for good that, you know, we get to choose what we apply them to. Um, and I basically at one point decided I didn't, I didn't want to grow and scale the business I was in any further. I wanted to help other business owners. That's where I made a transition into coaching and helping advising. And I'd been doing some teaching and talks and stuff for uh, at least a decade prior to that, but uh, dove in full-time around 2016. So what excites you about doing this work? The impact, you know, the impact. Number one, I love working with owners, founders, owner-operators of businesses, nonprofits, you name it, who, who want to make the world a better place. So that's, that's kind of number one. Number two is through them and by helping them and facilitating, assisting them, I can have a bigger impact on, on the world, on their customers, their employees, their culture, um, all the people that they serve and help them grow and, and go farther with that as well. I see behind you a book cover, The Best Small Business in the World. Tell us a little bit about that. I bet you have a copy there, don't you? <clears throat> yeah, I do. I have it right here. I refer to it. Um, it's it's my book with Matt Fitzsimmons. Matt was my coach um, back in 2010, 2011, uh, business coach when I had the physical therapy business in multiple locations was trying to grow that. I learned a great deal from him. Um, and we, you know, you stay in touch with people over time, but not, not on any kind of weekly, monthly type basis, just kind of infrequently. And I had been trying to write a book, write a business book. And what I wanted it to be was a manual for my kids. So when they start a business, they know what to do. What are the critical components to get overlooked that, that aren't there? And I was really dissatisfied with what I was coming up with, with a kind of very traditional business book that was going to be like everybody else's with the format of a story and then something to do, whatever. And I just, just didn't sit with me, which is why I got stuck on it for so long. It, it didn't work. And Matt reached out to me and with this kind of format of a workbook and said, hey, you know, I'm doing this. Would you like to join in? Let's do it together. And it immediately, it immediately hit. It's like, ah, uh, this this is what I've been struggling with for the past couple of years. So um, yeah, it was almost immediate. Like, yeah, yeah, I want in, you know, let's, let's structure it. 
lot of the stuff he had taught me, I've learned things, you know, past, hopefully over the past decade or so to incorporate in and to add to. We did our edits, we created a, a manual, you know, a starter's manual for your business. And we believe that your business should be simple, easy, and profitable. You know, simple, simple to understand, easy to operate and, and profitable. In a nonprofit setting, you still gotta you still gotta have a margin, you know, gotta have a safety net and all that. But um those are some key tenets. And you know, I guess part of the part of the big push and part of the passion there is helping people who are passionate about the thing that they do but don't necessarily have the education and business that they need to, to go out and have that thing really truly be successful. And that's I think that's a big part of why most businesses fail. They're they're excellent at the thing they do, they got fed up or dissatisfied or whatever with where they were, they want to go do it on their own. And then they need to learn how to manage and work with people. They need to learn how to implement change, motivate, lead, um, plan strategy, all those things that aren't necessarily part and parcel of the, the trade or the vocation or profession that they do. Yeah, that's a lot of missing part. Um, mm -hmm. And nonprofit leaders are social entrepreneurs. We're entrepreneurs. We still, you right. know, for visionaries, we follow the uh, the the flashy object, uh, shiny flashy object. <laughs> and, you know, we, we get out of a structure because we don't like that. But it's the structure that gives us the context to be able to show our brilliance and make, you know, the word you used earlier, impact. Um, we we want to have impact, and you help others have impact. So, going through, it looks like you've laid that out in a, a palatable manner, and you have a poster to fill in at the end. So going mm -hmm. through that book, what will people accomplish when they go through this process of discovery? I agree with you. We, I lead strategic planning sessions and right. a lot of aha moments and a lot of clarity. And we, you know, we discover things that we didn't need <clears throat> and we discover things that we forgot. So there's mm -hmm. probably a lot more that we didn't know before we started. So I'm, I'm guessing that happens with people that go through your book. Yeah, well, the program, you know, the the way we put it together was not to belabor you and create an academic treatise that you wanted to fall asleep to at night. You know, it was really asking the right questions and pro provoking the reader a little bit to answer those questions. And, to, and everybody, you said the structure. The cool thing about the structure in this instance is you get to create your structure, right? And, and the thing about that, like you need a vision, right? And, and the way I define vision, a vision of meaning, is higher purpose, core values, and a big, hairy, audacious goal, EHAG. If you have those three things, you know why you're doing what you do, how everybody's going to act along the way, and where your ultimate destination is. Um, the thing about that, that's applicable to any organization, right? And, and you use that, you use it. Now, this is, we talked about this earlier, right? You and I, you use it. It's not something, I've had clients that when we start into that, go, oh, we, we did that before. I'm like, okay, great, what are they? I have to go find them, <clears throat> right? And it's like, that's, oh man, that just, that, that, that bothers me, you know? Because whoever did that with you, they did a real disservice. And we've, I've been in organizations like that. I worked in hospitals, I worked in others, where you had the core values in the back of your name tag, and that's the only place you ever saw them, they ever got applied, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know? And the, the thing about this is, if you have your higher purpose, the reason your organization exists, and you use that in your decision making, and you it comes a lot alive in your organization. It's going to drive a lot of you know what you do. 
It's going to drive, it's going to attract people. It's going to inspire people, the right people who are attracted to what you're doing. If you have the values, you know, one of the ways to sell the core values, if you really have good core values, and by the way, they're not one word, can't be one word that's too open to interpretation. They need to be phrases that explain the behaviors that you expect of each other. And then when you do that, you know, your team, by the way, that's often a discovery process because most groups of people, you already have some rules that you live by. So we're pulling that out and articulating it. And, you know, folks get a little wary, kind of like, you know, when I first started about this stuff, like, okay, well, what do we do with this? It's like the hospital where they, you know, gaslight us and shine us on as employees, but they don't follow it. Um, or is this something different? And, you know, you use these, they, they become real, they become uh, recognition tools, they get interwoven into the fabric of the organization. Uh, you use the purpose, the values, and the VHAG for your first, first layer of your decision-making. So you've got a new opportunity, a new possibility, a new program. Does it serve our higher purpose? Does it align with our core values? If, if you're not sure, how can it? And does it move us closer or farther away from our VHAG? And if it doesn't move us closer toward our VHAG and serve our higher purpose and align with our values, why in the world would we do it? And there are plenty of wonderful things out there that aren't the thing that we want to do. You know, and then the last part of that, Tuki, you asked this, the posters you mentioned, right? From the workbook, you transfer the stuff over here from on post-its, by the way, because things evolve and change. We don't want you ruining it and having to get another one and, and all that. But um, that's a way for you to gain clarity as the founder or as the leadership team around and articulate and debate and, and find those things that really do resonate. It's also a huge... Um, I think it, it's, a, it's a great way to help you get those images, that picture in your head, out of your head and into the heads of everybody else around. And that's a huge challenge in leadership that we, I, I certainly didn't initially appreciate. You know, you mentioned visionary. Visionary, you see something that doesn't yet exist, right? That's, that's perfect. That's great. That's how we change the world. But other people have to be able to see it too, right? Or they're not inspired. They're not body they're not pushing and going the same way there is no synergy and and there's too many of us that hold all those creative ideas in our minds and we haven't written them written them down and you know i hear i hear all kind of flimsy people think they're reasons but they're really excuses you know i don't have time to write it down or you know things like that or it's going to limit my creativity you know give me give me a break here if you've got a structure, then you can put all your energy in being creative and implementing because you really, and if you write it down, number one, it's a commitment. Number two, it's a conversation with people and it's an accountability piece, which has two sides to it. People now know how to play into that and bring leads to you. So, you know, we, we put up barriers in unnecessary ways. So sounds like you've got a, a, um, really thorough system that people can work through. So what's what what do you see as some of the biggest gaps that people have um, in that, you know, you write this down, this is your strategy, basically. And then now you have to integrate it into performance. Mm -hmm. That's a big, that's a big piece. So it's so what's the biggest gaps that people have? The biggest, I think, and and I actually advocated and we added it to the book. Um, was a, what I call the move from player to coach. Because when you have folks who've gone out and, and are pursuing their, 
you know, their vision, their purpose, the, the, the cause, whether that's in for-profit, non-profit, whatever, whatever organization they've started to create and form and want to grow and want to have a bigger impact, um, very often they get mired down. One of the reasons they did it is they were really good at the thing they did. So they were a star player. They, whether they were recognized for it or not, right? I never got an employee of the month award. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I told one of my friends one time, terrible employees, like, well, yeah, you have ideas. Um, you have opinions, you know? Um, so when you find yourself in those kinds of situations and you go out and decide to do it on your own, um, there's a point in time, and it's not that far down the road, where you've got to start moving at least part of the time onto the sidelines. You got to be the coach, you know? And I like the coach rather than manager as a role model because we've most of us have had good coaches or our kids have had good coaches and we see what goes into that. And not a lot of us have had really great managers who do everything right that we really want to emulate. So a coach is going to hold you accountable. A coach is going to demand more of you. But a coach is going to believe in you and support you and make sure you have the equipment and the resources and the training and skills, the culture, the environment, everything around you that you need to succeed. A coach's job is to select the players who want to be the best in their position and then to do everything they can to enable them to do so. And, you know, that transition it's daunting. It's, it's intimidating for a lot of people. They're not quite sure how to do it, but that's where I like the coach role model because I think it gives us a better framework to start to think about it and to go over to, to make the transition. But if you can facilitate, I, and I get this too, like you said, I don't have time to write, it, for it to write it down. Well, I don't have time to do meetings with my team. Well, if you don't, that's like, <clears throat> I love this. Friend, a guy I know, Jack Daly, said this, that if you're not practicing with each other, you're practicing on your customers. Oh, yes, that's good. Right? That's good. And, and that, that made me kind of go, oh, shoot, okay, we need to change, right? Um, so you start, you, you create the processes, right? Those are your plays. You select the employees, the team, those are the players. You create the culture, the rules, the vision, you, you know, the fabric of the organization. Um, those are the things that you can manage as a coach. There, you know, you can't manage the results. You manage the process, you create structure, you create clarity around the vision, you create clarity around responsibilities and accountabilities and expectations, behavioral and otherwise. And you know, people are going to be much more likely to be able to achieve it. You know, Hugh, I learned you'll like this. I I think I so embarrassed. My wife and I were together for six years before we were married. It was another two years of marriage before I learned that I'm a terrible mind reader, okay? And I finally explained to her one day, if you will only tell me what you expect of me, then you have every right to yell at me later and be upset with me, but at least give me the choice of whether or not to upset you, okay? And um, that took me eight years, so I'm, you know, that's kind of an embarrassing story. The worst part of it, though, is not, it's not that. I realized two more years later that I was being that person at work. <clears throat> that I had expectations for people that I wasn't being explicit about. And then I was disappointed and upset and frustrated and would try to figure out what went wrong. Well, I didn't tell them. That, that is more common than, you, than people understand. I'm just embarrassed it took me that long. <laughs> that was 10 years <laughs> to figure it out on my own. So there's, there's a great argument for talking with 
you know, getting a mentor, coach, somebody, so you can accelerate that, you know, not be bogged down <laughs> that kind of length of time. That's why we all need coaches, because we all have blind spots. We can't think of everything, but at least you got there. Some people never, <laughs> never get there. So just in the whole context of what you're talking about, you and you said it, you manage your schedule. So you manage things, you manage, manage schedules, you lead people, and then you're there. One of the facets of leader leadership is coaching. And it's Absolutely. not telling people what to do, it's you know, guiding the process mm -hmm. and helping people raise the bar on their own performance. So you mentioned purpose-driven and value-driven organizations. So I'm, I'm amazed at how many leaders I talk to, they can't articulate their organizational values or their personal values. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you ask them the purpose of their organization, they just flounder about, tell you all this stuff. So that's a key focus point. And if and in the nonprofit world, funders want to know exactly what your purpose is, mm -hmm. and and they want to sure. look at the team and see if they're performing. And then the the word coming back again is impact. They want to see that you've generated results. Then that's quantifiable, and then quantifiable means it's fundable. So right. talk about about um, some of the gaps in purpose, purpose understanding purpose and communicating purpose. Well. I, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make around purpose is we try to um, be too comprehensive. And really what it needs to be is a, a simple phrase boiled down to the essence that underpins all of it. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like you. When I ask people initially to articulate their purpose, I usually get a, you know, a several minute explanation or discussion. Um, and they might have actually said it somewhere in there, right? But you, a lot of times they, they don't even get there. It's just a lot of explaining, kind of running around. Now, the, one of the reasons that's hard, and, and here's the thing, thinking is the hardest work there is, right? And it's, you know, that's why so few people do it. But the thing about you and you as a founder in your organization is you're the only one who's going to really put that effort, energy, and the level, the depth of thinking and care into it. Um, you can get other people to get on board part of the time. You can have strategy days around. You can workshop your core values and all that. But you're the only one thinking about your organization all the time. Okay, most most of your team and staff, and maybe even your partners are not. They're not. Not all the time. Not like you are. Um, one of the reasons it's really difficult to articulate the purpose, and when the first person who said this to me said it, it immediately clicked, because, you know, background in healthcare, we study neuroanatomy in the first semester of PT school, you go into quite a bit of depth, more than most people probably realize, um, but the part of the brain that controls those emotions or that feels the emotions and processes and the, the things around the why and the purpose and all that is not are not very well connected to the logical articulate part of the brain. So we often have real difficulty in being able to uh, delineate in words what our core purpose is, what our higher purpose is. We struggle with that connection. Um, you know, you can talk to your, your significant other, you can talk to your spouse, you can talk to your partner, your best friend, maybe parents or kids, people around you who know you best, they will be able to articulate it better than you can in the beginning. 
Um, but the cool thing about that is when when it start when you start to say it the right way, you, you get that emotional response. You know, the hair on the back of your neck goes up, you start to feel it, you get the connection. So it's a bit of a full circle. Um, instead of rambling on about all the different things, when you get to the essence of it, you know, I, 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 my business exists to help entrepreneurs make the world a better place. Okay, it might sound a little bit corny or cheesy, but it still makes me proud, makes me happy. It connects with what I'm all about. Um, you know, when it fits, it fits. And that's when you, when you land on it, you find it, and you're able to say it, you'll, you'll know. You know, and you'll know when you're getting close too. You'll, you'll, you'll be close, but you'll be a little frustrated that's not quite right. Well, you're, the way you articulated your purpose is like a vision statement, it, it, which is probably what that is. It's, um, oh, that's what you do. And then it provokes the question, how do you do that? Sure. Which is your mission. So that's great. So you've, <clears throat> you've thought about this a while and rehearsed this before. I loved, uh, I loved your analogy that you got to rehearse. And being a conductor for 40 years, we rehearse for every performance. But in business, we just do bad meetings. In a nonprofit, we, we do terrible right. meetings. Right, right. So we're rehearsing the wrong notes. Well, and 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 not enough rehearsal, not enough practice. You know, it, the same thing applies to music. But I, you know, the analogies I use are more sports related. The same exact things apply. Would you would you have a concert without rehearsals? Would you put your you know your team on the field without practice? And what would you think of a coach who did that? Who said, "Oh, we're going to go to this tournament. We don't practice, and we're just going to kind of see how it goes." You think they're going to win, right? Well, but the but the big question is is and and this is not a you know to make anybody feel bad, but is that you and your business? You know, because what we talked about before was you can have all the ideas in the world. It's the action. Like, what are you going to do with that? If that's currently you and your business, okay, it is. It is what it is. What are you going to do differently to move forward and put a prepared team on the field? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, my, my favorite sport's NASCAR, and you got seven guys that jump over the wall in 13 seconds. They change four tires, clean the windshield, fill the tank, boom, <clears throat> and the car's off. If it's 13.1 seconds, they lose a position on the track. Right. You know, it's important that you be in tune. And uh, my wife's in the hospital right now, and she had a precision team that just takes care of everything. That's life or death. <clears throat> and so... Um, and the work we do in nonprofit world is probably life or death at some point. A lot of it is feed people and and help people in ways that are that are tangible. Um, so, um, how do how does a leader take? We we do the hard work. That stuff that we don't do often is think. Um, that's a lovely analogy you had. How do we take <laughs> that and and in, in integrate it? As you word you ask is if you how do you get that into the minds and spirits of all the people? All the stakeholders, you got staff, you got board members, you got volunteers, there's a whole right. lot of people, and we want to spread that organization wide. So how do you make that happen? Oh, well, that's a big question, Hugh. Um, <laughs> that's a big, big, big question. There are obviously multiple facets to that. Um, one of the things to recognize, though, is that when we say the thinking part, what I, what I ask of my clients, what I ask the people in the small business program, best small business in the world, we call them besties. What I ask of our besties is that they take one hour a week, block the time, and that's their time to think. They can use the parts of the book, they can, you know, but it needs to be implementable. There need to be action items that they're going to take away from that and do in, in their organization. 
One of those is you know, change management. If we're going to articulate the vision for the first time, the purpose and the values and the BHAG, we're going to have to start talking to people about that and again, paint the picture for them. If you're a visionary, you've got a picture in your head. You've got to paint that picture clearly for everybody else so they can see it. That's step one, right? And then um, there are all kinds of ways to operationalize. One of, the, one of my favorites that's really straightforward, I think it's straightforward, is when you've articulated your core values, okay? And um, we have a lot of great examples in the book, but I'll just give you one. One of ours in the, in the physical therapy business was do good by putting patients first. That guided the decisions. If somebody was there and, and you didn't know what to do as a front desk person or a, a new therapist, whatever, if you made a decision that aligned with that value, you're not going to get in trouble, right? Whether we made money or not, whether it, what, you know, even if things went wrong, you're, you're trying and doing the right things. And then we, you know, we go from there, we'll figure it out. But those guide your decisions. So one of the things we do to operationalize it, I read, I read one time that the, and this was back when we were talking about millennials, not even Gen Z yet, but the average millennial needs positive reinforcement at least every seven days, right? And at work. And I, when I first read that, I went, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? Because if I start walking around and trying to catch people doing the right thing, that's gonna start getting really weird. And you know, with my personality and our organization and culture, whatever. So I'm like, how, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So we implement a core value story. So one-on-one meetings, you can have one-on-one meetings with your team, your direct reports. It can be 15 or 20 minutes. But by the way, that recognition alone is huge because one of the biggest reinforcers, one of the biggest things that you can give your team, and you can translate this, think about your kids, think about your, your spouse or partner. Think about, think about your pets. You know, the most important thing you can do is give them your undivided attention. And we don't do that. We don't do that as, as leaders or managers or founders. And even 15 or 20 minutes a week, undivided attention, hearing you, listening to you, recognizing what you're doing, helping you with your challenges, coaching you through the difficulties or, you know, performance or whatever it is, that if it's done in a supportive way, is something that people crave and really, really want. So we incorporated core value stories. The core value story was not something you did. It's something that someone else on the team did that you witnessed, you saw. So you tell the value, the person, and what they did. And then, of course, the follow-up. So now, now the supervisor knows, the uh, peer has acknowledged them, um, and then the next question from you running the meeting is, have you told them yet? So you create a peer-to-peer -peer reinforcement recognition process that's reinforcing, recognizing the desired behaviors in the organization. That's awesome. Instead of corrective, you're affirming mm -hmm. the good things. And underneath all of this, um, well, the umbrella for all this is relationships. The meeting and this training piece, you're building relationships, which is why people follow you as a leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, well, and you have that alignment again, back to your word, synergy. Yeah, yeah. We're working for the same goals, we're behaving in ways that we expect, you know, we're not violating um, you know, behavioral expectations. We're all striving for the same ultimate outcome or destination, and we know where it is. And how many companies have you asked them, what's your what's your a big very audacious goal is a you know a goal eight years, 10 years down the road? Where do you want your company to be in eight or 10 years? How many companies, how many organizations can't tell you? Most of them. Yeah. 
Yeah. Vast, vast majority, right? Absolutely, absolutely. This is this is really essential to you. The the synergy um, in music and in drama, we call it ensemble. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's it's how we function together. Which the leader creates the space for that to happen. You really can't make it happen, but by doing the things you're talking about, they work it out. And if you rehearse it, now this is all saying that people misquote. They practice makes perfect. That's wrong. Perfect <laughs> practice makes perfect. One word. One word makes makes a difference. So, Sturdy McKee, you've got um, websites. Let me just refer to them here. This is called uh, the best small business in the world.com. And the best business in the world is the URL. Um, the best business in the world.com. That's for the book. It's more than a book, too. We have a community. We, um, Matt and I, do a call every two weeks to drop in. For, for everybody and then you know the things like the posters to bring it all together but yeah they're those things together we also ship uh the book and the posters anywhere in the world included um and literally anywhere in the world we did our research and uh he's in new zealand our marketing guys in norway i'm in san francisco um so we really are trying to be global and uh <laughs> global if we can Local and global at the same time now. Sturdy coaching. Tell us about this. What will people find there? Well, yeah. So this is for people who um, want to want to work with me a little bit more. The not quite DIY is the best small business in the world program. Well, I also work with groups of entrepreneurs. Um, if if we're getting the right group together at the right time, we want to work on the on same or similar things at the right stage. That's a little bit harder to put together. Um, but when it works, it works really well. And then I, I work with entrepreneurs, founders, one-on-one um, to right. help them achieve their vision and build their business. Sturdy, S-T-U-R-D-Y, coaching.com. So this has been informative and um, we have done the whole time slot here. So before we end, you have a challenge or a thought you want to leave people with today? Sure, thank you. Um, and thank you for all of us, you. Uh, the, the challenge would be to start carving out um, an hour a week. And if you can't do an hour, do 30 minutes, but get in at, carve out a little bit of time each week to think about your business, to come up with ideas, um, and do it in a place outside of the office, outside of home. So wherever you think best, wherever you work best, you know, take a notebook on your bike, go for a walk go to the coffee shop, sit at the beach, wherever works best for you, but get away from all the interruptions. You know, we're all in such a state of overwhelm all the time. Get away from the interruptions, have a little bit of quiet time, think about your business and what, what it is you want it to be versus where you are today. Sturdy McKee, wise words. Thank you for being my guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you so much, Hugh. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.